atop Boston, it's Celtics Express, where we bring you the latest in the quest for Banner 18. It's the Prince of the Parquet, the Captain of Causeway, the Governor of Green. Oh, wait, really? He quit? Okay, then. Here's your host, Jay Corwin. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome to Celtics Express. As always, I am your host, Jay Corwin. We're the only place for you to find all the numbers, sound, and chatter. You need to be a responsible NBA and Celtics fan. In under 20 minutes at a shot, we come to you with recaps and previews several mornings a week. You can keep track of us on iTunes, otgbasketball.com, blog talk radio, and of course at Celtics Express on Twitter. On this journey into the Celtics beat, we're joined by Celtic studio host for 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston, Sean Silver. We'll look back at a wild Thursday night in Phoenix. We'll also hear from otgbasketball.com's Jay Christian as we preview Boston's final two road games of their season-long trip tonight in Utah, Sunday night in Portland. More on that shortly, but first thing is certainly first. The Celtics snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat. Kyrie Irving poured in a season-high 39 points. He was masterful carrying the Celtics past the Suns 116-109 in overtime in Phoenix. They trailed 32-13 after the first quarter. The Celtics go on to snap a two-game skid, improving to 7-4 on the young season. Head coach Brad Stevens. It's great that we were able to rebound because that shows, you know, you're going to have bad halves. Um, but it's good to know that we've got some of that stuff we looked like at times last year in that locker room. Um, we saw it on full display in the fourth quarter in overtime. Of course, Stevens referring to the figurative kind of rebound. Side note, the Celtics did win the literal rebounding battle, 56-42. Kyrie Irving with 18 of those 39 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. Boston overcame a 22-point deficit, including trailing by five points with under a minute. You know, not so much worrying about the shots that were going in. They're just finding the right shot, right player at the right time, and just trusting that, um, you know, each of us were going to be selfless. Um, you know, just, and just staying with the mindset that we can win the game. Kyrie is expected to miss tonight's game in Utah as he attends a memorial service for his grandfather. However, Gordon Hayward will play in his first back-to-back of the season as he makes his return to Utah. Hayward, along with Al Horford and Jason Tatum, just 7 of 22 from the floor for 19 points combined. One telling stat about the impact of Tatum on the game, though, he was just 1 of 7 from the field. He still led the Celtics with a plus 15 differential. Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, huge, donating 17 points apiece for Boston, including the Mook Dogs game-tying three-pointer with a second left to force overtime. You know, we've just been lackadaisical with both ends, and, you know, uh, uh, the second half just showed us you know, uh, who we really are, who we're capable of, and we actually focus and actually go out to play. The Celtics shot just 22% in that dismal first quarter, then 55% in the second half, 67% in overtime. In all, that's good for a 40% clip on the night, just 14 of 37 from deep. Devin Booker netted a season-high 38 points to pace the Suns. He always does well against the Celtics. They fall to 2-9, and nine, but certainly have some talent to build on. He and Kyrie went toe-to-toe late with a series of horse-like shots. Booker says it really should have never came to that. You know, I think we were up 16-18 with five minutes to go. And kept giving up quick buckets, um, quick three-pointers, um, miscommunications on defense to, to easy shots, um, a little bit of everything. You know, if you blow a 16-point lead in five minutes, a lot has went wrong. T.J. Warren, who continues to bulk up, looked impressive. 29 points from him. Rookie DeAndre Ayton, 14 points, 10 boards in defeat.
Sean Silver, Celtic Studio host from 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston, joins us to recap a wild night in the desert, a roller coaster of emotions, Sean, from should Danny make moves tonight? And then, okay, we're getting there in a matter of about 20 minutes or so with a plethora of feelings, no doubt, swirling behind that beautiful blonde cabbage this morning, Sean. First word that comes to mind after this win. You're going to put me on the spot like that? Um, <laughs> beautiful. Just beautiful. And and that's that's a transition from absolutely disgusting. Um, you know, I've always been a big proponent of the West Coast game. It was going back to my days as a night owl when I was a bit younger and didn't have a kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I always kind of get up for the West Coast games. You know, you get to see some teams that you don't get to see a whole heck of a lot in their home arena. And uh, Phoenix definitely brought it last night against the Celtics. But, I mean, Phoenix isn't a good defensive team. It was just, you know, there was a, there was a, a piece of plywood or something over the rim for Boston. Uh, for a lot of this game, and uh, even though they made a nice surge in the third, it looked like things were over. Uh, but a- as you said, you know, time and time again, the Celtics make a great run. Um, they're never really out of it, and they just played some amazing basketball for about a three-and-a-half-minute stretch of the fourth, and then overtime that you know, shows what this team can really do when they're hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, a lot of positives and negatives, obviously, to pull from this one. One of the big positives, like you said, this team basically beat that squad in about three minutes of good basketball. So we'll put on uh, my armchair psychology hat here. We'll do some word association. Uh, First thing that comes to mind, Sean, when I say Jalen Brown. You're really one for the pop quiz this morning, aren't you? (laughs) I don't know. I figured it'd be fun. I would say, um, I would say figuring it out. Uh, that's not a word, but more of a phrase. But uh, yeah, that's acceptable. You that's know, acceptable. Um, this is this is kind of the thing with that starting five. You know, I think we're still having questions about what to do with the starting five this morning. And Marcus Smart deployed with that unit uh, to start the second half. Jason Tatum finds his way to the pine, uh, and then interestingly, Jalen Brown goes off for all seventeen points. You know, after the halftime bell. Uh, that he scored, but you know it's 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 a different team for the Celtics. You've got a lot of players out there who are figuring it out. The one guy who really doesn't seem to be bothered by it at all is Kyrie Irving, who you know, goes for 39 points, 26 of them after halftime, and was the only Celtics starter to score in that first half. But Jalen Brown, he just I don't know. He, he goes from a guy who showed flashes of you know being a, a, a slashing. Uh, you know, attacker who can also shoot the three, who can play some lockdown defense to a guy who just doesn't really know what his place is and is trying to create, you know, shots maybe where they aren't. Uh, last night he settled in in that second half and, you know, really showed what kind of an asset he can be. But it's interesting to, sh- to see that the roster construction was uh, a bit different uh, while he was having his runs. Yeah, indeed. It's exciting to see him when he makes that catch, quickly puts it on the floor, gets to the bucket. Without him playing that way in the second half, obviously, uh, without Kyrie, he carried him. But Jalen Brown was huge, and I love his aggressiveness. Uh, sometimes he kind of reminds me of like a middle school player who's like still growing into his body. He's just a little, a little too quick for his own good. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with his development. Okay, next one, Al Horford. Uh, I, I guess I kind of say like, I mean, the box score, he's, he's almost invisible, but, you yeah. know, he's hes doing things out there. I mean, you sum it up, he had four blocks last night. It's just like, oh, yeah, he he did. He did make some defensive plays for this team. Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton in his rookie year is a, a considerable force out there. Mm. 
Um, you know, and TJ Warren kind of kind of went off last night as well. But uh, you know, again, Horford on the floor. You know, when the team was putting things together, he was out there during OT. He didn't. If you go back and you look at the play by play, you know, go to a go to any sort of sports website that shows you. Uh, the breakdown of what's happening on the court. There was not a single statistical anything that involved Al Horford in the overtime. Hmm. But, you know, they killed the Suns in overtime, and he was a part of that. So it's uh, it's, it's a little weird, and that's just going to be fuel for the haters. Um, my appreciation for Al Horford, I've never hit that from you, and I don't feel like I need to. <laughs> yes, Uncle Al. I, I've always been an Uncle Al backer, but... There are times last night it was like the fourth quarter they showed some stats. It was like four points, three boards, three assists. And, you know, given his contract and his place on the team, sometimes that can be frustrating. But we do know he is the ultimate intangible guy. Okay, one more guy I need to know, Sean, how you're feeling on Terry Rozier. Lukewarm. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what to feel about this this player right now. I mean, I, I love him because he brought back Drew Bledsoe throwbacks last year. <laughs> Um, I, I love him because he, you know, <laughs> hit a triple double. I think his second game as a starter last year, in in lieu of uh, Kyrie, and went on a really great run that you know took the Celtics all the way to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but at the same time, it's just kind of like I'm not going to hate on him for you know publicly, privately, whatever, wanting more playing time. That's just the, the sign of a competitor. Uh, this is a guy who came into training camp preaching sacrifice. And uh, kind of saying that, you know, if we want to win, then then we're going to have to sacrifice, and I can just take care of, you know, the things that I can that I can take care of. Uh, he hasn't really taken care of things so far. He's still shooting down around thirty three percent on the season, mm. and just seems a little unsure of what his role is out there. Uh, last night he was uh, a minus for the Celtics as well. So it's uh, I don't know it, with a lot of aspects of this team it's just a work in progress you wonder when we're going to hit that sweet spot you wonder when like last year's winning streak like what part of the season are they going to go on a run when is it going to when is it going to manifest you know to the point where it's like these are the these are the Celtics that we feel confident can take the East we we haven't seen that yet not even close you know Gordon Hayward's still a ways away and Terry Rozier's I think he's hanging around here because the Celtics need him if they want to win. I mean, really, he's Kyrie insurance, but also he makes that bench uh, so effective when he's on. And uh, I, I was listening to Mannix after the game last night. They're in the bottom third of the league in bench scoring. I mean, without Marcus Morris off that pine, and look mm. at how he contributed last mm. night with a big three-pointer, awesome. 17 points. You know, Marcus Morris definitely <laughs> showing a veteran presence, a steadying presence at times for them that Terry Rozier just really hasn't had so so far. Yeah, Marcus Morris uh, looking like a, a man among boys at points and uh, seemingly always coming up with that bucket that the Celtics need at a, at a given time. So a pretty good segue there. You talked about when is kind of the line of demarcation when we look at this team and we start to get frustrated with the play. I mean, they are 7-4 and four now, Sean, moving forward. At what point, whether it's Terry Rozier or somebody else, are you starting to think about any any roster moves this season? I just, I don't see it. I mean, unless it's Rozier, Marcus Morris could benefit. Given that he's, I assume, late 20s by this point, maybe even 30 years old, um, he's the kind of guy who, he's getting 25 minutes a night. And that's certainly less than he got when he was a starter in Detroit. 
But it's interesting, if you look at his shot attempts, they're pretty much on par with what they were in Detroit. But he gets he's the, the green light. When he's on the floor. Yeah, he loves it because he's, you know, he's green lighting the whole time. Exactly. And, and the value, I think, you know, his contract is up after this year. He can generate a lot of value after pro- proving himself to be a winner. So for Marcus Morris, just doing the role that he's doing, you know, they're a little bit more thin in the front court than they are in the back court. Even, you know, if Daniel Tice gets 100% healthy, he's not a guy who's going to really eat up Marcus Morris's minutes. So he's, uh, he's going to have a role in this team. Rozier's a bit more of a head scratcher. The thing with him is there's supposed, you know, value to him as a point guard. And, and, you know, there's always the thought that, well, teams need him. I mean, how many teams, though, actually need him? The Suns could use him, yeah. Orlando could probably use him. Maybe the Spurs. But how many teams out there are really playoff contenders that would have a, a real need for Terry Rozier and would pay something back to the Celtics that would, you know, not cripple their bench? So I feel like they're going to hang on to Rozier. They're going to go into free agency with him or restricted free agency, much like they did Bart Smart. The question is, what happens at that point? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. One possible location we've heard about that could make some sense uh, would be the San Antonio Spurs and that wild Western Conference. Sean Silver from 98.5, the sports hub at the Silver Fox, the hero of the South Shore. And we appreciate your time, Sean. Have a great day. Thanks. Hope you do as well. And uh, it'll be another late one in Utah. So I'll be uh, I'll be doing that one for the station and uh, listening to the booze right down on Gordon Hayward from those beautiful Utah Jazz fans. Oh, they're so mean out there. Yeah, we can't wait. Li- we can't wait to listen to you, Sean. Thanks, man. We now bring in Jay Christian, the People's Reporter, covering the NBA for OTGBasketball.com. He keeps us woke on the Western Conference here on Celtics Express. JC, my man, did you catch any of that Suns Celtics thriller? I did. I tell you what, man, the uh, the Celtics. That was probably um, you know all things considered one of their best games so far this early season. Yeah, one of their best like five minutes of basketball for sure. Yeah. <laughs> A wild one, and of course, all NBA fans are excited to see a game like that uh, finish. So looking ahead for the season, it's the final two games of this West Coast swing, a season-long five-game road trip. The Jazz tonight, the return, of course, of Gordon Hayward. The Jazz up and down so far seems like the kind of play up and down to competition. They did end a losing streak, topping the Mavs last night. Donovan Mitchell back in the lineup. He's dealing with a bum ankle, and they had lost four straight before that. Your thoughts on this club? Uh, you know, they, they started out the gates with so much uh, potential, and I think rightfully so. This is a team that, if nothing else, they can defend. Uh, and I think that early matchup against the Warriors, you could tell in that game, I think it was the first week of the season, they really wanted that one. That was a game that went down the wire, and uh, Golden State ended up uh, pulling it out in the last few seconds of the game. And you could just tell Utah won that game. It was sort of that barometer measuring stick type game, uh, not to rely too much on the cliches. But um, since that, just a lot of misfortune in terms of uh, you know losing some close ball games. I think you said it correctly. You know they sort of play up or play down to the competition and have just been uneven. And, and I think sort of countervailing to that when they play, the Northwest Division is arguably the best division in basketball right now, top to bottom, and uh, may end up finishing the season that way. So Utah, um, I think looking to get right against the Celtics, which I don't know if you can necessarily get right against a team that is predicted to be in the NBA Finals. Uh, but Utah's definitely going to get the shot. 
should be a fun one there in uh, in Salt Lake City. So the Trailblazers, the Celtics will wrap with them this weekend. A tough squad in their own right in that good division you're talking about. They've now won three straight. They're nine and three and tied atop the division there. Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum doing their thing. They also have Zach Collins, a surprising front court presence. We've seen a pretty good article. I forgot who wrote that, but on OTG Basketball, I read that recently. That was pretty interesting. Uh, so your thoughts on the Blazers coming in? Are they for real? You know, I think so. And again, um, the Northwest Division is going to cut some teams. Uh, you know, you're going to be sort of, you know, trial by fire. Uh, gosh, another another cliche there. But uh, <laughs> this team is coming out strong, and I think they're they're anti. I wouldn't say anti Warriors, but anti sort of uh, you know teaming up. You know, CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard in their own rights have both been very vocal against this idea of you know buddies coming together like the super friends. Uh, they're both been adamant in the past about keeping their core together and trying to win in Portland, bringing another title to Rip City. Um, so I, I think they're an interesting squad that they're really, really leaning on. This is our team. This is the squad we're going to roll with, and we want to sort of combat these uh, imaginations of teams coming together with, you know, forming these sort of super teams. So uh, to your question, are they for real? I think so. I think that um, the last year, the playoffs with uh, the Pelicans, I think they just ran into a really bad matchup, uh, to say the least. But uh, this year, I think you can see them finish in the top three, top four of the Western Conference. Yeah, one of the best backcourts in the league for years now, and it seems like they're now getting a bit more help, and that's probably from both of those guards maturing a bit, making those guys better around them. So the Western Conference is nuts. you got the Jazz, Lakers, Pelicans, Rockets all on the outside. If the playoffs were to start today, Jay Christian, they would be on the outside looking in, of course. A lot of time to go, but very interesting is the climate of the Western Conference. Are the Rockets really this bad? Are the Thunder this good? The Thunder defense leading them. They won without Russell Westbrook. Seventh straight game, 98-80 over the Rockets, limiting Houston to under 40% shooting. They had a very good game plan, really closing out on those threes. Seems pretty simple. Paul George leading that defense for OKC. He had six steals. They're looking good. What are your thoughts there? Uh, It's a tale of two teams. Uh, OKC... Until uh, Roberson went down last year, they actually looked good. The Paul George uh, experiment was working. I think the, the issue last year, and I think people in OKC would agree with this, was more so mellow than mellow and the combination of Roberson uh. going down. Um, they were always a great defensive team uh, on that unit with uh, with Roberson in the lineup, but he went down. But even now, they're playing a lot better. I think this is a really good OKC squad. And my beloved Rockets, man, I don't, I just don't, <laughs> I'm worried. I mean, 10 games in, uh, or 12, whatever it is, I'm really worried about them. I think they're still struggling to find an identity, which is hard to imagine for a team that uh, was just in the Western Conference Finals and, and, and got a, you know, Chris Paul hamstring away from the NBA Finals. Uh, I just, they just don't seem right, man. Sometimes the magic, you know, you, you, you catch it for a second and, and it kind of vanishes in the thin air. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'll leave it at concerned right now. We're not even to Thanksgiving yet, so I won't go full on panic. But if you have me again, on the, on again in a few weeks, then, uh, that could be upgraded. Uh, I think the hell of a week to, uh, stop and blue, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Jay, I beg the question, what are sports without cliches? you got to check him out. He's at jchris, J-A-Y Chris 206 on Twitter. He's always got new stuff for you at otgbasketball.com. Jay, thank you for the time. We miss you already. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon.
The Seas visit the 5-6 and six Jazz tonight before heading to the beautiful city of Portland for a Sunday evening showdown with the 9-3 and three Blazers. With that, we wrap another episode of Celtics Express. Thank you for joining us. We thank our producer, Teddy Tuhat, our guest, Sean Silver, as well as Jay Christian, our legions of fans, and, of course, Dr. James Naismith. Where would we be without him? Find us on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, otgbasketball.com, and on Twitter at Celtics Express. Remember those you love this weekend as we remember those killed in Thousand Oaks this week. Until next time, I'm your host, Jay Corwin. We'll see you at the Garden.